Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I am a proven leader with over 23 years of diverse experience designing, delivering, and supporting software and technology projects. I believe in giving back to my community, and I enjoy networking and helping to grow Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Creatively, you will find me pursuing my passions of photography, podcasting, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. In this episode, I have a conversation with Adam Birkin. So let's not waste any time and get to that chat. All right, everyone, welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast. Uh, Today, my guest is Adam Birkin. And Adam is a software engineer with uh, the Khan Academy. So Adam, welcome. Hello. Perhaps we could start off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up in uh, Khan Academy as a software engineer. Sure. Uh, So I grew up in Calgary and I went off to University of Toronto to do engineering science. Uh, Ended up working in the U.S. I worked at Microsoft for a few years uh, down in Silicon Valley. Worked at Google for 10 years. Uh, Eventually decided I needed to get out of there, move back to Calgary. Um, And I've been working remote for the last three years for Khan Academy. Oh, interesting. And can you tell us a little bit about Khan, Khan Academy? I'm not sure if anyone's heard of them. Sure. Uh, So Khan Academy is, uh, the motto is a free world-class education for everybody everywhere. It's a nonprofit company. Uh, We have tens of millions of users, uh, especially, you know, in the the COVID pandemic times, it's it's proving very popular. I bet. Um, So we provide uh, math, science, uh, we're starting to get into humanities stuff all the way from like kindergarten up through first year university. Um, And so... We, we run mostly on philanthropic donations, um, which we've been fortunate, again, with the COVID pandemic, we've been getting a decent number of donations to help support the new load. Um, but it's an exciting place to work, for sure. Neato. So is that available to anybody in the world, or does it have a specific target market? Um, we most Mostly it's U.S., but um, we've had people all around the world. It's translated into 40 languages or something oh, now. Wow. Um, it's got quite a quite a broad draw right so is this something where someone could actually do their entire education like if they're homeschooling or something could they do it through this or is it more to upgrade your skills or kind of where does it fit yeah different people use it in different ways but we're not trying to replace the teacher um you know we we try to align with curriculums but we're not going to replace the curriculum um we get used a lot inside schools um, for identifying gaps and for sort of catching up on remedial stuff or students who are bored can sort of move ahead and try new stuff. Uh, We encourage schools to try 30 minutes a week of just Khan Academy time. And so we provide videos, articles, exercises, and the, the student can sort of learn what they're interested in at their own pace. But we also provide dashboards to the teachers. The teacher can see what they're working on, where they're struggling. Uh, and, you know, the teacher can then go target the students that need help and know exactly what it is that they're struggling with and, and go help them. So we think it's really helpful in the classroom. But people also use it uh, just as independent learners, you know, adults who want to pick something up or, 
or kids who get into university and realize, ah, my math skills aren't good enough, right? They go back. Uh, it gets used in prisons. Wow. It's, it's popular for, for people there who want to learn skills. So when they leave, they're, they're ready for another job. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very broadly used in a lot of different ways. And we try to try to make it work for all sorts of different learning styles. Oh, is that ever cool? And so, uh, you're a high senior levels uh, software engineer. You've been at Google, you've been at Microsoft. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to work at each of those companies? I'm sure that's fascinating to uh, us normal people who have never worked for one of those big monsters before. Sure. Yeah, those companies are, are really incredible places. Um, the the caliber of, of your coworkers is just amazing, right? These are people who who cleared the bar and you always feel like the imposter syndrome. Like if, if these are my coworkers, how did they ever hire me? Right. Um, you, you run into people all the time where you'd ask a question on an email list, like, Hey, I don't know how to make this thing work. And some guy would reply and you'd go like, wait, that's the guy who wrote the textbook I learned from in university. <laughs> or <laughs> that's the guy who created the programming language that I'm using right now. Right. Oh, and, wow. and so working with people who like have, international fame and are, you know, really important members of, of the global tech community is a, a wonderful opportunity. It's also really exciting to work on huge scale projects, stuff where you know, you know, 100 million or a billion people are going to use this. I, I've worked on Windows, I've worked on Google Search, I've worked on Google Cloud, right? These have just enormous range. So, you know, you're having an impact. Um, on the other hand, you're usually working on a tiny, tiny little piece of this big project. Um, you know, for my last few years there, I was optimizing the way we stored bytes on flash drives. Oh, wow. Which, you know, is exciting. And at the scale Google was at, I was saving millions of dollars and, you know, but it was a really, really tiny little piece of Google Cloud. And it was sometimes hard to feel the impact, right? I, I know what I'm doing is important, but I can't see an end user who's like, oh, thank you for that, right? Khan Academy is the exact opposite. We get emails every day of, oh, thank you. I was going to fail calculus, but because of you, I'm now going to Stanford or something, right? But we literally get that kind of email 20 times a day. It's That's amazing. That's cool. That's so cool. It's easier to, to feel that, that cross-pollination between what you're doing and what what the community enjoys and reacts to. Right, that's so cool. Um, and and sorry to dwell on it. I just find it super fascinating. But can you talk a little bit about the cultures at Microsoft versus Google? Sure. Um, so I worked at Microsoft quite a long time ago, and I know the cultures moved along since then. But when I was at Microsoft, it was uh, just after the tech bubble in the early 2000s, and Microsoft was one of the few places that was hiring. Um, so, you know, we were all kind of thankful to have a job and, uh, <laughs> Microsoft is a fairly secretive place. Um, you know, if you were working on your team and you knew what you needed to get your job done, but I was on the windows team and I, I didn't know anyone in the office team or have any influence on what was going on there, you know, or MSN or the game studios, none of that. I didn't have any contact with those. And wow, so interesting. you'd, you'd hear stuff that was happening in those other divisions and you had no, no inside knowledge, no ability to, to influence those decisions. Uh, Google is a very different shop. It's very much 
driven by the engineers. Um, they have a meeting every week called TGIF, which is now on Thursdays, but name is stuck. Uh, <laughs> but they, they give a little presentation, what shipped this week, whatever. And then the founders go up or, or CEOs or whoever goes up and you can just ask them questions, right? And so if there's, if there's some new product that has a privacy issue or there's uh, some product that's, that's got a weird, you know, way that they're trying to sell it or something, the engineers go in and ask questions and like bring out the pitchforks. And, <laughs> and so you really can feel uh, like you're having an impact, even on products that aren't related to what you're particularly doing. You know, everyone at the company feels like everything at the company is something they can be involved with. And you end up with this real surge of sort of ground level interest and in everything. Um, for what it's worth, I actually think that that has made Google a great place to be the steward of everyone's data and stuff, right? Uh, it's nice to know that if Google was doing something terrible with your data, the engineers would rise up and, and fight against it. <laughs> so having been there and knowing those engineers, I feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, obviously, I understand most people don't have that insider view. And so, you know, data is scary. I get that. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's really interesting. Uh, you know, we've we've all seen probably uh, movies and stuff on the, about the two organizations. Um, and it just seems like such a, a bizarre world to be in. And it's really interesting to hear like you know, you mentioned that Microsoft's probably changed since you worked there a long, long time ago. But it's really interesting to see that that corporate feeling of Microsoft and the siloed kind of work versus the Google open and everybody's has an opinion kind of a thing. And I'll bet you, I bet you it's not that much uh, different from that perspective at Microsoft. Like they're, they're, they're embracing open source a lot more these days and they're, and they're being a little bit more interoperable with other technologies and, and companies and such. But um, I suspect they still keep their secrets tightly tightly held in the company. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so at, at Khan Academy, do you have, uh, you know, a large team there or? Uh, so the whole company is a little over 200 people. So it's not a very big company. Um, the engineering team's, you know, half of that or so. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a fairly small team considering the, the tens of millions of students we're helping every day. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's really, really cool. Um, well, good for you landing somewhere, which uh, I mean, clearly uh, is making you happy to be there. And it's pretty cool that you get to live in Calgary and remotely work for a U.S. company. Uh, I think that's probably happening a little bit more these days, but uh, uh, I know they still have some barriers there. But that's really, really neat. When we had talked a little bit over email, you were you were talking about you have some fairly strong opinions about having Calgary be more open or more promoting remote workers from around the world. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so when I was living in Silicon Valley, uh, I, I had a bunch of kids. I've got five kids. So I needed a big house. And big houses in California are basically unattainable. Um, the cost of housing there is literally four times the cost in Calgary. You know, a million and a half U.S. will get you a bad little house in a bad school district that's 45-minute commute to work. It's it's insane. And so um, 
between that and some of the political dysfunction and everything else going on in the States, we decided it was time to move back to Calgary. Uh, and the people I know who lived in Silicon Valley, a lot of them have left, uh, especially, obviously, after the pandemic. You know, why am I going to pay $5,000 a month for a, a house walking distance to work if we're not going into the office? Uh, so a lot of people have been leaving. Uh, and people are looking for somewhere that's nice. You know, it's got all the amenities. It's got, you know, the mountains you can go walk in or has the arts and entertainment downtown. But they also want to own a nice house. You know, people are sick of living in tiny apartments that are overpriced. And when I decided to leave, obviously Calgary was on my list because it's the place I grew up and I still got family here. But I looked at a lot of places. Do I want to go to Vancouver? Do I want to go maybe to Texas or North Carolina, do I want to go to Europe, right? I can work wherever I want. I'm, I'm a lucky guy. And when you look at the lists of great cities, Calgary stands out as having an extremely low cost of housing. I know Calgarians don't want to hear that houses are cheaper, but <laughs> on the global scale, they really, really are. Uh, you can buy a nice house for half a million bucks. That's a 20-minute commute to downtown at rush hour. That's that's amazing. And I think that Calgary isn't doing the job it could to promote itself as a location for remote workers. People people love having access to the mountains. They love, you know, the arts and the sports and everything else Calgary has to offer. Um, I think that Calgary should be trying to promote that more to bring folks here. The city is struggling right now. The tech sector here is struggling because we don't have a lot of senior people. And, you know, I'm a senior person and I didn't move here because some company managed to move me here. That's a really tall pull. It's a lot easier to just encourage people to move here. And now if a company here was looking for, for a senior guy, I work here. It's easier for them to try and give me that offer. Right. Okay. So I guess um, a little twist on, uh, you know, like tourism, Calgary and stuff and, and Calgary Economic Development, they're promoting companies to open head offices here and they're putting a lot of effort into that but you're saying they should actually put a lot of effort into promoting people to come live here and work remotely for other companies around the world yeah that's really interesting yeah i i think that there's the the way that uh, you know rainforest and startup calgary a lot of these guys are they're very focused on the headquarters of a company they, and it's kind of, you know, the traditional way that a company would work. You'd open up an office somewhere and you'd bring in your four employees and you'd grow and you'd bring in 10 employees, right? But imagine that Google opened an office in Calgary tomorrow and hired a thousand engineers. That would immediately make Calgary a tech spot. But it, there would be no headquarters here. There'd be, <laughs> there'd be no company in Calgary that was hiring people. It'd just be a satellite office. And I, but I still think that would be great for the, for the tech community to, to have such a major employer that was providing all the opportunities and the salaries and everything else. Maybe you um, could put a good word in for us or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, when I look at like Amazon, when they were looking at opening their second office, uh, I don't think that Calgary probably made the short list, but if it had, I, I think if they dug in, they would have found a lot of things they're looking for. Uh, in the U.S., 
people right now or companies right now are trying to hire people from around the world and the US immigration system is a disaster right they can't bring them in or it can take months or even years to get them all the the visas that they need uh and then once those people get to the US they can't afford a house and so I understand why companies want to start that little satellite office in Vancouver, right? If you if you get a job at Microsoft and they can't get you a visa, then they park you in Vancouver for a while. And while you're in Vancouver, you know, enjoy the city, but don't get too attached. We're going to move you to Seattle as soon as you get your visa. You know, don't your wife probably doesn't want to get a job because you know she's going to have to leave that when you guys move down here and put your kids in school, but don't get too connected with their friends because we're going to move. Right. That's a terrible situation. Uh, and, and I think that the idea of satellite offices is going to get, uh, more popular over time. Uh, and those satellite offices can start even with one or two people. Khan Academy has a bunch of offices where one person joined the company and then they knew other people in their city and they got in. And so now in Ann Arbor, in Michigan, we have, I think, six employees, and they've actually got a co-working space that they all meet up in once a week, and and it's become a little satellite office, and and it's still growing. We, we just hired someone a few months ago. So you end up sort of organically growing the industry without the headquarters, right? That isn't, I, I feel a lot of focus in Calgary is on getting those headquarters, getting those companies. When Having the, the smart people and having the community doesn't require that. That's really a, a good insight, I think. And um, I think I definitely support that opinion. I think that bring the people and then everything else will fall into place as well. Um, and being with, because of the pandemic and everything, working remotely has become much more acceptable to a lot of companies. I mean, so, some some of the big companies like Twitter and that are just basically staying in that mode now for the foreseeable future. So, uh, you know, why have expensive office space when everybody can work from home? So that's pretty cool. I want to sort of switch gears a little bit here. There's a lot of activity in Calgary uh, with firms helping people pivot their careers from, say, engineering and oil and gas and stuff like that into becoming software developers. And as you've already mentioned, there's a bit of a lack of senior development in Calgary. What about the junior level development that is available here? Uh, you know, these programs pumping out these people. Do you have any advice for them having such a, a vast amount of experience and being in Silicon Valley and working for those big companies and stuff. Do you have any advice for those people that are just coming out of, of these programs and having a basic skill set and wanting to be uh, useful as quickly as possible? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people who are, are new to the industry um, kind of get hung up on, oh, I know this technology or I know that technology. And they try to find, a, you know, if they know React, like, well, I need to find a job in React. Um, and if you're going to be successful long-term in the industry, you're going to change your technology all the time. I, I, last year I used eight different programming languages just because different things are in different languages. And I only knew maybe five of those before the start of the year, right? You've got to learn new things all the time. And so when I'm looking for a job, I don't really care exactly what technology the job's looking for, right? I, I know I can learn something, especially if I have something similar, right? If I've used Node 
Node.js and you need React. I can figure that out. Uh, and I, so when I talk to junior folks, they kind of, oh, I don't know the right thing. I don't know. And I would encourage folks, like, learn as many different technologies as you can, but also don't be afraid to, to reach out for a job that you don't have the technology. Especially once you've got a little bit of experience with one technology, it's fairly easy to, to broaden that into similar technologies. And, and it's a skill set that will be useful in the long term because you will change technologies. I guarantee it. That's how the software industry works. For sure. For sure. When they're in that situation where they're uh, applying for a job that's a technology different than their, the one that they're kind of used to, what do you suggest? Like what kind of, uh, I guess, pitch should they use? What, what would an employer be open to when you come in and, you go, and you're like, well, I haven't really used that technology, but I can learn it? Like what kind of pitch would you do in your situation? Yeah. So if you, if you know a similar technology, right, like let's say you don't have the right front end framework, but you, you know a different front end framework, right? You can describe how you would, you would build a similar thing in the framework, you know, knowing full well that you're going to have to learn that other technology first. And a couple of things might not be equivalent, but um, when I interview people for, for software positions, I don't care what language they interview in. And that's not important. What's important is, are they thinking the right way about it? Are they approaching the problem properly? Are they breaking it up into the right pieces? So it, it doesn't matter to me if they're using it, even if it's a language I don't know. Like programming languages aren't all that different. And so I can, even reading a language I don't know, I can still get the idea of it. Are they breaking the problem down right? Are they approaching it properly? Um, and that's far more useful to me than have they memorized the syntax of this one command that, you know, whatever, you can look that up on Google. It takes three seconds. Yeah. No, well, that's excellent advice. That's uh, really, really crystal clear and makes a lot of sense. So in this industry anyway, with, with the computer science kind of industry and, and programmers and that kind of thing, there's a lot of people that are saying that corporate culture fit is almost more important than you knowing the language. So that would play really well into what you were talking about. So if you're, if you're in an interview and the person who's interviewing likes you and feels comfortable around you and gets along with you and thinks that you're, you're smart enough to figure things out, the technology that you currently know and the technology you need to know are probably not going to be as big of a deal. For sure. I, I think that it can be tricky in Calgary because uh, unlike Silicon Valley where there's, sort of a, the culture is already very tech focused and very forward thinking. Sometimes here when I talk to companies, they, they're a bunch of old oil execs and they're trying to run the company like an oil field company. And that it's not going to be as efficient as, as running it like a tech company. You know, if you expect everyone's going to go get certified in the language and spend a year learning it, and then we're going to, you know, do a waterfall model, we'll design it up front. And then we, you know, that's, you can make software that way. And, and 20 years ago, that's how everyone made software. But today, you know, you should be cloud-based. You should use whatever language, you know, is right for the job. Uh, personally, I don't care about certifications at all. You know, I when I'm interviewing folks, I don't care if they have a computer science degree. That's, that, that's it's a positive. But if they've been working in the industry for five years, I don't care. That's not an important an important thing, um, especially if they've 
if they show that they're learning on their own, right? If you, sometimes you meet people who just, they, they don't know something, but you know that they're constantly learning stuff. They can talk about the things that they're, they're trying to figure out on their own. And that's a very, very useful skill to have in this industry where when a problem comes along, you know how to learn. You know how to go and find out that new information um, versus someone who has a, I, I'm an expert in XYZ and they want to work on XYZ and they expect to retire working on XYZ. That's less likely to be successful. Yeah, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. <laughs> The other thing I, I wanted to address with you is, I guess, skill levels from the the concept of sort of junior and intermediate and senior. Do you feel that it's uh, mainly time at the keyboard or do you feel it's the person's personal ability to pick things up or their personal ability to apply problem solving skills? You've obviously hired a lot of people in your day. Where would you fit their skill level when you're like, interviewing them or looking at what they're capable of doing do you peg them in your head oh this person maybe only has x amount of experience but i would definitely put them at the higher level of this or how do you how does your thoughts work on that yeah so my impression of what senior software engineering is is doing the jobs that people don't understand how to do right if it's a straightforward i need a function that takes these inputs and makes this output that's a junior engineering job uh, someone who knows the language, who knows how to program, you give them that, they can write the code, they can write the unit test, they can deploy it, perfect. Senior engineering tends to be, this isn't working. We don't know why it's not working. We don't know, you know what the solution might be. Someone just needs to explore this space, figure out what might be going wrong, figure out how we might be able to tweak it, run some experiments or some prototypes or whatever, and 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 you have to own it, right? Your your manager doesn't want to be riding you about. Oh, have you explored this? Have you explored that? Have you, right? A, a senior engineer can just to take it on and just see it through and and communicate too, right? Tell everyone, okay, well, this is what I've found. I think the problem might be here. That kind of explanation. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's not software, right? It's it's related to software, but. Um, I think that there's a lot of folks, a lot of junior engineers in Calgary who have the 10 or 20 years experience doing other engineering who could definitely do that. Now, there's some skills that I think are very particular to senior software engineering in terms of like debugging, uh, the ability to really dig into the software when it's doing something strange and figure out. And those are skills that are harder to teach and you do kind of just pick them up over time. Um, I, I know sometimes the junior engineers will come and say, I can't figure this out. I don't know why it's doing this. Right? And so the senior engineer is expected to have better debugging skills and better exploration skills. So there's a there's room for everyone. Uh, I think if you have those general engineering skills, you, you're well on your way to being a senior software engineer. You, you don't need to be an expert in every aspect of technology, but having that technology expertise is also a useful skill set. Right on. That's very, very cool explanation. What's next for, for you, Adam? You're, you're obviously 
enjoying Khan Academy and you're obviously back in Calgary where you're happy and, and it's home. Um, what, what's out, what else is going on with you? Yeah. So I'm quite happy at Khan Academy right now. Um, you know, making that difference, saving the world, all that good stuff. Um, but I'm a software engineer. So like virtually all software engineers, you're always thinking like, Ooh, I could, I could start something or I could go, you know, maybe something will come along. Uh, I've certainly thought about starting a company. Um, that's something that, that's another reason I think bringing senior remote workers to Calgary is valuable, right? That's, that's a, a spring of people who might become the next round of founders. Um, these days I've got five kids, including a few little ones. So I'm a little busy, but as they, you know, get into school and stuff, we'll see. I, I might be, I might be in the market for all the, the founder help that, that the city of Calgary offers. Well, I mean, you're involved in rainforest and that's an absolutely brilliant place to be if you're even having those sorts of thoughts. And it's really uh, wonderful having you as part of the community here. So it's we're, we're very lucky as Calgary to have you having uh, landed back over here and being a part of this community. So thanks for joining me today, Adam. I really, really appreciate uh, the brain that you have and the experience that you've had. I, I'm a software developer as well for about 27 years, but I've never worked for Microsoft or Google. So it's I'm a, I got a little bit of envy, but at the same time, I'm kind of happy that uh, that I've had the experience that I've had. And it, and it is a beautiful city. It is a, a wonderful place to live. And, um, and I look forward to us growing this uh, economy and this culture and this uh, innovation ecosystem that we have here. And hopefully one day uh, we'll be able to uh, say that, you know, thanks to Adam and his conversation with Al on the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast, we have uh, a new focus on bringing senior uh, software developers to Calgary to help not only the companies here, but to provide a better life for them in working with other companies around the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your weekend, Adam, and thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, so. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage. Inspire. Educate. Together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.